Chapter Six of the Silent Rifleman, a tale of the Texan Prairies by Henry William Herbert and James Jackson. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by E. J. Wiley, Seguin, Texas. Chapter Six: The Beleaguered Camp. Now we'll post a sentinel on yon hillock, and then we will pass the day as easily as we can. I and my fellows will lay poor Sergeant Davis in the earth which, if it be not consecrated, will at least shield him from the ravening wolf and the loathsome vulture. The sabres of his dragoons and an axe or two, which had been brought with him as part of the camp equipments, sufficed to scoop out a little hollow in the rich soil of the moist basin, hard by the streamlet's bed, and in it, wrapped in his watch-cloak with his plume shako on his head and his good sword on his thigh, all that was earthly in the gallant veteran was laid to take its long sleep. Gordon secured his telescope, and mounting a steep hill, surveyed the country, expecting to see the partisan. All at once he exclaimed in a full, manly, and clear tone, "'Julia! Huzza! Huzza! He is here! Come forth and greet him! The partisan is already here!' And just as a highly-bred brown horse bore him up the low bank from the rivulet's bed, she came out quickly from the little tent, with a warm flush on her soft cheeks, and a bright light in her clear blue eyes, and a fleet step and an outstretched hand which showed that the joy which she manifested at his coming was from the heart sincere and earnest oh she cried major delacroix and her sweet low voice faltered as she spoke as if she were on the point of bursting into tears how glad how very glad i am to see you too glad i'm afraid dear lady answered the gallant soldier bowing almost to the saddle-bow too glad i am afraid for your pleasure almost looks as if you thought i had deserted you oh no indeed indeed she answered clapping her hands together in the intensity of her earnestness i knew that you would die a thousand deaths before you would desert me before you would desert i mean she added with some slight embarrassment any woman in distress or danger you need not have modified your first expression lady replied the partisan quietly as for dying a thousand deaths i cannot say for that but certainly so far as risking the one life i do possess i would do that for you willingly julia gordon was a high-minded artless innocent woman if ever such an one breathed the breath of life but still she was a woman she perceived at once that she had struck and fascinated the wild partisan at first sight and though she would not for the universe have intentionally caused him a single pang she did unconsciously encourage him and lead him on to wilder and more wandering fancies than he had ever entertained before you flatter me fair lady he replied with a smile as he dismounted from his good horse and flattery from such lips as yours were perilous indeed to a younger man than i and to one alienated from the hopes the wishes the delights of civilized society but let us go into your tent he continued and you shall bestow upon me your hospitality to-day in requital of the poor meal i set before you on the other side of the bravo when the repast was ended and coffee set before them he produced his pipe and filling it with his favorite mixture of tobacco applied himself for a few minutes to smoking silently gordon followed his example and julia awaiting patiently the relation which with the true woman's instinct she foresaw to be close at hand now then lieutenant since we are about to start it were perhaps as well that we should determine whither whither exclaimed gordon starting and looking very anxiously in the old soldier's face i thought that had been determined long ago i thought we were in full route for taylor's camp before monterey it is impossible replied the partisan i did hope at first to effect it but the hope was delusive 
the thing is a sheer impossibility we are in the midst of outlying parties of regulars and what is worse yet of guerrillas and worst of all of these accursed comanches and to return asked gordon is equally impossible what then for the love of heaven speak cried the young husband actually trembling with the violence of his anxiety and apprehension it is impossible for a party at once too strong to avoid discovery and too weak to resist an enemy to push on to monterey even if we had not a lady with us i could myself run the gauntlet thither and arrive in safety though even that is doubtful you or she at least must remain in concealment until i can bring you such succour as will suffice to her safety remain in concealment here not here exactly nor yet very far distant can it be done i think it can with safety else had not named it and whence will you seek succour when god and the fortunes of war shall send it perhaps not higher than the general's camp perhaps i may stumble on jack hayes or walker or mccullough or gillespie's rangers they are on the scout almost all the time either in the van or rear of the army and now i think it likely they will be down hereaway with the intent to open our communication god send that they may god send it so indeed replied arthur gordon earnestly but what has led you so completely to alter your views and intentions that which i have seen with my own eyes or heard with my own ears last night and what may that have been listen i was awakened last night by the sound of a scuffle and a faint groan before i could get on my feet however i had the pleasure of seeing that scoundrel whose life we spared in the morning and a stupid thing we did in sparing it lead his horse out of the circle and leap on his back there was no use in awaking you so i untethered emperor as quickly as i could and out in pursuit of him for all the speed i could make he had got full a half mile away on the open prairie before i was in the saddle but i cared little enough for that seeing that in a five miles race i knew well enough that i could make up such a gap as that and overhaul him too without much trouble but what did vex me and set me to thinking was that instead of making the best of his way back over the ground we had traversed in the morning he struck off here to the northwest, riding as straight as if he had been following a beaten track, without a sign of hesitation, or so much as looking behind him. That was strange, said Gordon. I soon found out whither he was bound, and I was thinking of taking a straight course for the rancho, at which I saw he was aiming, when all at once I heard a yell in the force, scarcely three hundred yards ahead of me, and before I had time to think, out galloped forty or fifty redskins from the forest, and drove right across the open ground right down upon our runaway he felt that he was lost i think as soon as he saw them for he made but a very sorry race of it wheeling and turning to and fro as if he knew not whether to fly and the consequence was that they ran him down in less than ten minutes and that within less than a hundred yards of the break which hid me if i had just then had ten rangers with me armed with good western rifles they never would have served him as they did nor would one of them got off scot-free but what could I do? I was but one against fifty, and I knew not how soon my own turn might come, so I had only to stand by and look on while they murdered him, exclaimed Julia, covering both her eyes with her fair hands. Good God, how terrible! Burnt him alive, lady, said the partisan coolly. Burnt him alive, exclaimed Julia, whose hands had dropped from before her eyes into her lap at the first words of his reply burnt him alive and before your eyes before my eyes lady not a prayer not a shriek not a groan of the wretched devil escaped my ears and the smell of his roasting flesh sickened and almost choked me 
cried the partisan. "'And why, why did you hold back?' exclaimed Julia, wildly catching him by the arm. "'Why did you not rush upon them? I could have but died with him.' "'Then you should have died with him,' she cried, scarce knowing what she said. "'Not to have done so is not like the man I have heard you called, not like the man I took you for.' "'Hush, Julia, hush!' cried her husband, springing to his feet. "'Be silent, child, if you cannot speak reason.' But Delacroix interrupted him, speaking very slowly and with an inexpressibly mournful intonation of voice. "'Let her go,' he said. "'It was for her sake I did it, and most meet it is that she should pay me for it with ingratitude. Whoever served or loved a woman and met with other guerdon for his services. I was a fool, I am a fool, but I did not expect this at her hands.' He hung down his bold head as he spoke, and one or two big tears, the first he had shed for years, rolled down his swarthy cheeks. And now bid your men strike the tent, and pack just what baggage your lady cannot spare. Pack it on the dragoon horse, whose saddle is left empty by the murderer's deed, who has dearly rued it. The rest with the tent and pontoon must be abandoned, and the mules that bore them must be slain. Let them hide everything in the chaparral. The sun will have set within an hour. Meanwhile, I will go forth and see that the coast is clear. But whither, whither are you about to lead us? inquired Gordon anxiously. If you trust me, you will follow me, Lieutenant. Whithersoever I lead you. If not, you will not follow me at all. For if it be my intent to deceive you, I can do so by words as well as by actions. Oh, Major Delacroix, exclaimed Julia, who had recovered from her bewilderment, and was sensible of the error she had committed. You are offended. You are angry with me, and justly. I have been most ungrateful. Not angry, lady, not offended. A man cannot be angry with such a one as you. Do what you will with him. I am disappointed, perhaps hurt, but certainly neither angry nor offended. You must forgive me, she exclaimed springing passionately forward and catching his hand in both her own you must you must forgive me i knew not then i know not even now what it was i said will you but forgive me surely i would had i anything to forgive sweet lady he replied with a grave sad smile but i have nothing unless it be he added with a low sigh my own folly but a truce to this we have indeed no time for parleying will you trust me and follow me as we ride onward, I will tell you whither. To the world's end, answered the beautiful girl, clasping her hands and blushing crimson with the violence of her own emotions. To the world's end, if you will not forgive me. Now will you be so kind as to issue your orders to your men, lieutenant, and you, madam, to make your preparations for a ride which may extend through the night until daybreak tomorrow? He spoke so decidedly that there was no excuse for attempting to prolong the conversation, and Gordon left the little tent immediately in order to give his directions, while the partisan lifted his rifle from the ground where he had deposited on entering, and turned to follow the young officer without saying another word. But ere he had reached the entrance, Julia, who had been standing with downcast eyes and a strange expression, half sad, half passionate on her beautiful features, sprang forward to intercept him, and again caught him by the arm. "'What have I done?' she cried passionately. "'What have I done that you thus spurn me, thus despise me? "'I, lady,' and he gazed at her in blank astonishment, "'I despise you? "'Yes, yes, miserable me, and I deserve it all, I more than all. "'Oh, God, oh, God, I shall go mad. "'What shall I do to win your forgiveness?' 
i have said madam he replied mastering himself and retaining his self-composure with a mighty effort that i had nothing to forgive but now it is my turn to ask and his voice assumed a deeper tone of feeling and his whole manner showed an intenser meaning will you spare me you know what i mean lady all women know their power and i suppose all abuse it but as i have endeavored to serve you truly as i intended to do to the end as i am resolved to die for you will you spare me i say spare me my self-respect by consciousness of right nay manhood my repose of soul my honor if you will lady i forgive i bless you if not if not tremble i say tremble not at the thought of my vengeance but of your own remorse think of this lady and fare you well we speak no more alone together no more for ever and he flung her hand which he had held tightly clasped in his own while he spoke away from him contemptuously half indignantly turned on his heel and left her she gazed on him for a moment wistfully and then sank down upon the bearskin on which he had been sitting buried her face in the fur and wept bitterly as might be seen from the convulsive sobs which shook her whole frame as she lay prostrate in her desperate sorrow within an hour the partisan returned to the camp which had been the scene of so much mental suffering and excitement to all the parties who had passed the last weary long hours within its guarded precincts but when he did return he had fully mastered his composure for he now fully understood his own feelings and perceived the peril of indulging them and he found all his comrades collected and self-possessed at least in appearance and prepared to set forth at a moment's notice the horse of the unhappy sergeant had been equipped instead of his own demipique with the pack saddle of the poor predestined mule and stood seemingly conscious of his degradation loaded with such necessary baggage as could in no way be dispensed with the appearance of the partisan and the first quick gesture of his hand gave the signal and all the men vaulted at once into their saddles all is safe he exclaimed cheerfully to horse to horse and away and with the word he laid his hand on the pummel of the brown charger's demipique and without setting his foot into the stirrup sprang at one bound to his back then after saying a few words in a low voice to arthur who communicated them in turn to one of the dragoons he bowed to the lady saying and now if you are ready we will proceed at once and rode at an easy gait out of the gorge followed by all the party the heart of julia sank as she gazed around and she felt that the least addition to the sense of dread and half superstitious awe which now beset her would be too much for her powers of endurance yet while she thought thus another item was added it was the sharp and sudden crack of two rifles discharged almost simultaneously in the small amphitheatre from which they had just departed she started in her saddle as if she had received a blow and would have fallen from her seat had not her husband thrown his powerful arm around her and supported her frame on the back of her palfrey it is nothing he whispered it is nothing only the poor mules which we were compelled to shoot as we could not bring them with us and dared not leave them to follow and by following betray us more blood cried julia bursting into a paroxysm of tears more blood my god when will this have an end you should have thought of that julia replied the young soldier sharply and bitterly before you married a soldier that done such thoughts are too late alas alas they are indeed too late and do you cry alas for that false girl exclaimed gordon in so loud a tone that his words reached the ears of the partisan who instantly reined back his horse and laying his hand kindly on the young man's arm said in a low voice 
oh peace peace for shame consider what she has borne what she has yet to bear and all for you i wish i were in my grave she answered raising her mild soft eyes to meet his i never shall be happy more till i lie in it nay nay speak not thus returned the veteran warmly death at the best is a dread mystery in god's good time we must all come to that to his good wisdom therefore let us leave it and oh by no levity or petulance of ours let us call down his anger on our heads but i assure you it is no gloomy place no fearful or dark abiding place that i hope to conduct you but to a sort of fairy bower inhabited he added assuming a tone of gaiety which he perhaps scarcely felt by what i thought till i met your blue eyes mistress gordon the loveliest woman i e'er looked upon despite herself julia gordon was interested and amused and yielding womanlike to the immediate impulse she cried what a fairy bower and a fair woman in this howling wilderness ay lady even so and thereby hangs a tale which as you will be thrown i think upon her hospitality and as it may beguile the tediousness of our night march i will relate to you if you choose to hear it oh tell it by all means partisan cried gordon eager to atone for his late petulance and to divert his wife's apprehension i hope it is a love tale cato's a proper person answered delacroix laughing you see i quote lieutenant but here goes my story it was a little better than a year ago he began that i first visited this part of the country which i know every pass glen and pond and rivulet of it as if it were my own garden all then was violence and fierce irregular strife and vengeful indiscriminate warfare and confusion i was alone on this good horse which i now ride and armed as you now see me at times i would join this or that band of rangers when on some actual service which promised excitement and the chance of action i for the most part scouted by myself on this occasion however i had a special duty to perform being charged with dispatches from the general to the chief of the band which will not name nor otherwise designate except as being ever the most daring and successful in the onslaught although too often the most merciless in the moment of victory well it was a lovely summer's evening as ever shone out of heaven when i passed through this belt of forest not exactly here or in this direction for i came in further to the southeastward and approached the clearing which surrounds the plantation whither we now are bound when suddenly as i rode along following the track of the horse hoofs which i could easily distinguish in the mossy greensward and judging by many certain indications that i could now be far behind them though i heard nothing to denote their vicinity when suddenly i say i caught the distant sounds of merriment and revelry the light cadences of the guitar the merry laugh of girls the deep rich voices of the male singers in the harmonious spanish tongue and all the glee and anxiety of fandango i felt a momentary sense of pleasure for i knew that i was in time which i had feared might not be the case and that the attack which it was my mission to prevent or at least to render bloodless had not as yet taken place the next instant a sudden doubt a great fear fell upon me how could it be that i should be so close to the rancho and the band of which i was in pursuit yet closer but unseen unheard and unsuspected i knew that not a moment must be lost that even now the rangers must be stealing with ready arms upon their victims that even now the doom of the gay lancers must be sealed unless my presence should arrest it 
I gave my good horse the spur, and throwing the rein upon his neck, galloped at the top of his speed along the intricate and mazy wood track. Never in my life did I spur so hard, and never did a road seem so long or so devious, nor was this the effect of imagination only, for I have since ascertained by actual inspection, although the distance, as the bird flies from the spot where I first heard the music, to the rancho whence it proceeded, is but a short mile. The road, by which alone you can reach it, measures three at the least, winding it to and fro to avoid pathless breaks and deep barrancas, and is exceedingly deep and miry. The sound of my horse's tramp splashing through the deep clay was already heard by the lancers, and heard, alas, by their ambushed foes, when I feared it spurred to accelerated them. When suddenly from the wood to my left, the shrill blast of the bugle rose piercingly upon the night air, and was answered by a second at a little distance. There was an instant pause, breathless and awful as the lull that precedes the burst of a thunderstorm, and then a long, loud shout burst out on all sides, and the quick running rattle of a hundred rifle shots fired in quick succession. God, what a shriek succeeded! And then the clash of blades, and the blasphemies and yells of the charging Texans, and the deep oaths and dying groans of the slaughtered Spaniards, and the howling of hounds and mastiffs, and above all, piercing my very brain, the maddening screams of women pealed up in horror, dissonance to the peaceful heavens, which, in a moment afterward, were crimsoned with the glare of the rushing flames, making the twilight scenery of the calm forest lurid and ruddy as the fabulous groves of hell. When I heard that tremendous uproar and saw the outburst of that furious conflagration, I spurred my horse the faster, and at last, issuing from the forest, came upon such a scene of horror, blood, and devastation, as I trust it may never be my fate to look upon again. The rancho, or country dwelling house, which had been attacked, was of unusually large dimensions, consisting of many buildings, with barns, stables, cattle folds, and outhouses of every kind. Suddenly a pistol shot or two startled me, followed by a shout and the clashing of swords from a distant quarter of the garden. I was still mounted, and with the speed of light I galloped toward the spot whence those sole sounds of human life proceeded. Across the smoothly shaven lawn and luxuriant flower beds I drove my charger recklessly. I came up. I was yet in time. It was a small, low building of two rooms only, the endmost of which had windows reaching to the ground, secured with jalousies, and perfectly embowered by the rich leaves and vagrant tendrils of a hundred climbing parasites. And this lone bower, evidently the abode of some Spanish beauty, was now the last citadel of the hapless inhabitants, mercilessly attacked and desperately defended. It was fortunate for those within it that the Texans had discovered it from the courtyard, with which it communicated only by one door in a massive wall of stone, all its windows opening into the secluded quarter of the garden, which they had not as yet discovered. From the courtyard, separated from the garden, in which I stood by the high and massive wall I have named, the shouts and rush of armed men came clearly to my ears, and by the English tongue, the wild oaths, and the bitter denunciating, I readily perceived that it was the band of whom I was in pursuit, and that they were forcing their way into the building, in despite of all opposition. Still it was evident to me, by the silence which prevailed in the inner room, opposite to the casements of which I stood, that this last sanctum was yet unforced, though the rapid discharge of pistol and rifle shots, and the clash of rapier and bowie-knife at the door, announced that its security was menaced, and could not certainly be maintained many minutes longer. 
there was not a second to be lost springing down from my horse with one pistol in my left hand a second in my belt my good broad sword in my right hand and my wood knife between my teeth i drove the jealousies asunder with one blow of my foot and stood the next moment in the scene of terror and god of mercy what a scene that was should i live centuries i never can forget it it was but a second that i gazed around me yet in that fleeting second i took in more minute details than i could recount to you in an hour the chamber was the sleeping-room of some young female yet this spot was already the abode of death might even be the scene of outrage worse than death on the low virgin bed was stretched where it had been hastily deposited by the alarmed bearers the lifeless corpse of an old man an old spanish gentleman a small round livid hole in the centre of his forehead surrounded by a discoloured spot and the blood which had flowed from the back of his head and deluged all the cambric pillow covers showed plainly that he had fallen by the unerring missile of a texan rifle i learned afterward that he was killed in the very act of offering hospitality by the first shot discharged that day on his own threshold and i do not regret that the perpetrator of the atrocious deed fell that same day by my hand and this good weapon but to proceed on the floor close to the window by which i made my entrance lay stretched an aged woman the wife apparently of him who slept unconscious happy that he was unconscious of the horrors which surrounded him she too had been struck down as i judge not a moment before i entered by a chance bullet for she still breathed a little although life was fast ebbing from her veins in spite of the efforts of the loveliest girl my eyes had then looked upon who knelt beside her seemingly unaware of the fierce uproar which was raging nearer and nearer every moment in the adjoining apartment the door of which stood wide open allowing the horrid din the hideous imprecations and the blue sulphurous smoke of the death shots which rang incessantly without to force their way unhindered into that quiet chamber i said that one quick glance showed me all this and to truth i had not leisure for a second for i was not well within the chamber when the tall young spaniard staggered back to the threshold of the door and discharging a pistol at the texans while in the very act of dropping fell headlong on the floor upon his back his left hand which still grasped the yet smoking pistol striking the ground within a few inches of the feet of that fair girl she started at the dreadful interruption and for the first time becoming aware of my presence uttered a long wild shriek and believing that her hour had come arose to her feet with an effort and laying her hand on her bosom said in a low sweet voice in the spanish tongue strike if you will but in the name of the most holy virgin harm not an orphaned virgin alarmed by her cry a young gentleman richly dressed who was defending the door with rapier and dagger with all the valor of despair and whose back had been turned toward us looked around quickly and as he did so received a sharp wound in the breast from a texan knife the murderous weapon was raised to repeat the blow when i seized him violently by the shoulder cast him back into the middle of the room crying amigo and thrust myself into his place confronting alone the infuriate assailants the men knew me in an instant but their blood was up moreover and several of them to the intoxication of heated passions and unbridled license had added the intoxication of wine quantities of which had been found on the premises and had been drunk without stint it was in vain that i called on them to hold and demanded their captain my answer was that they were all captains there alike and would take no command from any 
coupled to an insolent warning to take myself out of harm's way if i were wise before worse should come of it a moment or two before he reached the spot he was informed of my coming and of the resistance i had met from his men there was blood on his face on his hands on the blade of his saber which he bore still unsheathed but so soon as his eye fell upon the group opposing me and saw that i was fighting on the defensive it seemed positively to flash fire his white cheek gleamed with a red unnatural hectic and he actually gnashed his teeth with rage rascals dogs mutineers he shouted do you dare to resist an officer down with them pierre down with the dogs spare them no longer give them the steel and suiting the action to the word as the hindmost man of the party turned aghast at finding himself as it were between two fires he threw himself upon him and ran his sword through his body the rest flung down their arms and with some difficulty i obtained their grace for he would hear at first of nothing but drumhead court-martial and immediate execution and now my tale is told that bower is the sole relic of a once rich and noble residence that fair pale girl is with the sole exception of her brother who was the wounded youth i mentioned the last scion of a race as noble as ever came from the shores of old castile but tell me exclaimed julia who had listened rather impatiently to the late discussion her brother what became of her brother who was wounded whom you saved what could become of him he pulled his sombrero over his eyes buckled his father's sword to his side and his good spurs to his heel took lance and lasso backed his best horse and never since has given quarter to a man who speaks with an english tongue i would not bet a dollar that he would spare my life if i fell into his hands in action and where is he now or how engaged asked gordon since romano fallon's troop has been broken up he is padre taranta's right-hand man he is the most dangerous enemy america now has in all mexico and it is to his sister's dwelling that you are leading me asked julia in astonishment even so lady if once you cross her threshold you are safe against all the force of mexico until such time as we can bring you succor or a flag under which you may enter the lines End of chapter 6 Recording by E.J. Wiley, Seguin, Texas